You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses, starting at verse number 38. How many of you folks are on the loop in our church? You are on the loop. You get the loop, okay? Good. How many folks read what the sermon title was on the loop this week? All right. How many people are totally confused by that title? All right. Good. We're talking this morning with a problem with church picnics. It's a bait and switch, actually. We'll, we're continuing our series in Second Kings, working our way through, Lord willing. Sometime this year, we will finish this book, and we will, by God's grace, I think, move into the book of Hebrews. That's where I really long to be, but I feel obligated to finish the narrative, and, and I've enjoyed it, but I'm, I think I'm ready to, to move on. But we're only in chapter 4, so we'll be here for a while. Verse number 38 of our text this morning. And Elijah came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. I, I want to pay attention to this text this morning. The truth is, in the, in the only 38, 39, 40, 41, the four verses that we'll deal with this morning, there's a lot happening. And I don't want to overextend it. I really want to be true to the text, but I do think there are things that we ought to notice this morning. The first thing I want you to see is, here is Elijah, the prophet of God, doing God's work. Um, he is the man. He is the representation of God in northern Israel. Along with him now are the sons of the prophets, which means that they are men who are dedicated to Yahweh, Jehovah, in fulfilling his will and his plan, even in a nation that has turned their back on God. And yet, in the text, we find that there's a dearth, literally a hunger in the land. We would say a famine. So think with me this morning, here are God's people doing God's will, and they are struggling. Can I tell you this morning that life on this planet is hard? Does that come to a shock to anyone here? No. You hear what I'm saying? That this world is not the way it was meant to be intrinsically, innately, we know that something is wrong. And what is wrong is sin has corrupted and ruined everything, and the life we live now is by the sweat of our brow. It's hard. It's difficult. There is pain. There are struggles. There is suffering. There is heartache and heartbreak. We know it. It's real. We live there. This world is messed up. Right? And believer, this morning, you and I are not exempt from that. we got to quit listening to the nonsense that tells us if you're right with God, if you're saved, uh, if you're walking in faith, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise and never struggle. My friend, that is a lie from Satan. 
That is not biblical. A matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He promises his people there will be trouble. And this morning, we all can attest to the fact that he was telling us the truth. Here are the people of God. And it's hard. And I look around this room and I know it's hard. So there's a famine. Maybe the next question we should ask is, why is there a famine? And so how how can we know? I mean, natural disasters, who can say why there's a famine? And the fact is, most times we can't. We don't know why disasters happen, ultimately because of sin in the world. But the truth is, to blame something for a natural disaster, you're really on thin ice. I really worry about guys when something happens that they say, this is a judgment of God, until it happens to them then it's not the judgment of God. But for this situation, we know why there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in Israel because they have turned their backs on God. They are his covenant people. No nation in the history of the world had more privilege, blessing, and experience than Israel. They were called out, God's chosen people. They entered into a covenant with God, and their job was simply this. Through your living, and through you following my commands, you are to shout to the world the glory of the only true God. And they said, we'll do it. Whatever you say, we will obey. And God said, good. Will enter a covenant, my covenant. When you obey, you will be blessed. And when you disobey, you will be cursed. And one of those curses over and over again in the, the Torah is there will be famine. I will withhold rain as you turn your back on me. There is a famine in the land because this nation has rebelled. Now notice, here are God's people, God's prophet, the remnant people, they are not exempt from the suffering, from suffering with a rebellious nation. They're not rebellious. They're doing right. And yet they are suffering within a rebellious nation. Um, I am not by nature pessimistic. I, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I don't go to conspiracy theories. I'm just not that way. Some of you folks, you're there. Your bent is not, you know, half full. It's like, this cup sucks, right? That's how you think, and I, I get that. That's not me. I have, that's not me. My bent is the other way, that I can be so optimistic about things that it's not reality. It's like, everything's great, When it's not great, but I have to tell you, I worry about our nation. We have pushed the God of heaven out of our lives in every facet of our lives as a nation. We are calling evil good and good evil. We have lost the reality of the sanctity of human life from the womb to the grave. 
We are confused. We don't understand anything in our nation. What it means to be human. What it means to be male and female. We live in a world that now we are creating our own realities. And it's not real. It's destructive. And we cannot continue to reject the God of heaven, his divine law, his creative order, and be okay. Listen. Everybody wants morality. Now I know what you're saying, not everybody. But everybody wants this idea of be good to people, love your neighbor, work hard, be honest, you know, sacrifice. Those are all good concepts, but listen to me. Those concepts cannot continue when you kick God out of your world. I am not saying this morning that the atheists cannot do good things. They certainly can. But there is no foundation to do good things unless there is a true God in heaven who tells us right and wrong. And what's happened in our world is, it's like this analogy of the, the, the vase and the flower. I love the aroma of the flower. Oh, I love it. Kindness and generosity and self-sacrifice. But I don't like the flower, which is God. So I discard the flower, and the aroma stays for a while. But eventually, the aroma will not stay. Because once you get rid of God, it's just a matter of time before you lose morality. There is no reason to do good, to be kind, to be selfless, without the God of heaven. And I'm concerned with our nation. I would venture to say that we are already experiencing the judgment of God in our nation. One way that he judges nations is found in Isaiah chapter 3. Listen to this verse. I found this fascinating. He's talking about judging Israel. And here's what he says. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. One way that God judges nations is this. He allows babies to rule over them. Children, without wisdom, common sense, selflessness. And I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying all politicians are babies. We have godly men and godly women in politics who are trying to do the right thing. But what I am saying is look around. This hemisphere is ruled by babies. By children. Not adults. And the remnant people are not exempt from suffering with a rebellious nation. In Sunday school this morning, we talked about fasting, a great topic that everyone loves. The problem with fasting is you're hungry when you do it. Right? No one likes it. We're talking about fasting as a congregation. And the fact of the matter is, as a nation, as the people of this nation, it might be time for God's people to get on their knees and skip a meal this week and pray for the only hope that we have 
that this nation has a revival that's turning back to the God of heaven. My friend, the hope is not in politics. It's not more money, more programs. It's in none of that. The only hope for the human heart is the God of heaven. And we as a people must repent of our selfishness, of our complacency, of not being the salt and light that God has called us to be. Here are the remnant people. They're not exempt from the suffering within a rebellious nation. And I would submit to you this morning, if you don't feel it yet, you will. We are in the midst of a rebellious nation who has turned their back on God. It would be wise for us to repent. It is our problem. We live here. And so maybe this week we should skip a meal. Maybe we should pray that God would reveal our own hearts. Maybe we should ask forgiveness for not being the salt and light that God has called us to be in our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work, and our community. And so don't just read over that text back in 2 Kings. God's people are suffering. The, the, the world's broken. But God's people are also suffering because they're part of a real rebellious nation who have turned their backs on God. Verse number 38. second part of the verse says here is Elijah the prophets. They were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot and seed pottage for the sons of the prophets. And so here they are. They're in the middle of this dearth, this famine. They're gathered together. And this is where I really believe. I might be going outside the text this time, but I believe that they're probably Baptists at this point. Because they're all sitting together, and the thing that they're going to do is, we're going to have a meal. Somebody make some soup. Somebody get a casserole together. It's time for the church picnic. And they all agree, it's a great idea. So they, they get together, they put the pot out, and they're ready for some soup. Look at verse number 39. And one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. See the picture? He's gathering these gourds and doesn't know what they are, but thinks, hmm, this looks like something good to throw in a pot. So they shred it, throw in the pot. Verse 40, so they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. Now, this is not the time to insert a joke about your wife's cooking. This is not. There is death in the pot. And they cry out. And we might read that at first glance and say, what a bunch of drama queens. Big deal. You make a pot of soup, some idiot threw some wild gourds in there. It's ruined. Just start over again. Let me remind you, there's a dearth in the land. There's a famine in the land. It's not like our world today where you throw the soup out and open another can. It doesn't happen that way. It is a big deal. And they cry out to God because for them, it's not just soup. It's much bigger than that. For us, just soup, not for them. Listen to me. Let me encourage you at this point um, to be careful on what we believe too insignificant to take to the God of heaven when we're in trouble. I've been married now for 32 years. I've known my wife for 
a long time. Not very good at math. Um, 12. Oh, wait, 32, 12, um, 38 years. I've known her for 38 years, okay? And, and if you've been in a relationship that long with anyone, you know that there comes a point in time you don't even have to talk to each other anymore. You know what they're thinking. I know what she's thinking right now. I'm not even going there, so it's okay, all right? Um, but, but we have inside jokes that no one would ever understand. We will say things, and if you were listening to our conversation, you would think, there was, and there is something wrong with us, but you would think, man, there's something wrong with them. And, and one of our standing things that I say anyways is this. In a parking lot, when it's full, I always say to Kim, I hope my parking angel comes through here. Now listen, this is bad theology, but just listen to the story, okay? Because it's full. And so I say to Kim, I'm praying that my parking angel, this is so bad, I'm the pastor of the church. Um, my parking angel gets a space for me. And so we circle around a bunch of times, and if it opens up, I say, thank you, parking angel, you came through. And if it doesn't open up, I lament how I'm not really a bad person and I deserve a good parking space, right? This is, our, this is a game we play. And you think, how foolish that is to pray for a parking space. And it's foolish to pray for an angel for a parking space. Number two, it's foolish for me to pray for a parking space. And the truth is, I'm a dad who parks at the end of the parking lot anyways, right? I mean, at the very end, my kids are always mad. Because it's like, oh, there's good space. There's no one to park back here so we don't get caught in here, right? Three miles away from the store. That's how it goes. Right? But can I tell you something? A parking space isn't a bad prayer for someone who's elderly. A parking space isn't a bad prayer for someone who has a handicap. It is a real need. Now listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying this morning, name it and claim it, call on your parking angel, you need a space. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, this pot of soup for them was a big deal. And too many times, we think that the things in our life that we struggle with are below God. And he's not concerned with those things. Andrew read the Lord's Prayer this morning. And we all know the Lord's Prayer. We, we could have, and you probably in the future, if you know it, should quote it. It would be sweet to hear us say that together. But in that model prayer, did you notice that before you ever get to the forgiveness of sins, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. It comes before even the forgiveness of sins. What is God saying? God's saying that he understands that we have needs. Big or small, we are to run to him. And too many of us as God's people, this idea of the Father, we have a Father who invites us into his presence, and we as his people never run there until a last resort. I've had quite the the last two weeks in my life, and I'm telling you this story not to feel bad for me, but to make an illustration, so don't feel bad for me. And I mean it. Um, We've moved, right? So, man's living next door, to be honest with you, is easy living. That's the truth. It's easy living. Something goes wrong, call somebody. It's the man's. It's easy living. Country living is not easy living. It's not. It's not it's, there's nothing easy about it. Now, it's better for my soul, but it's not easy living. And so, about the last two weeks, we had Dave came down to visit with his special friend. And, um, and so, that week... Our pipes froze, 
I was that cold. Pipes froze that week. Um, before that, before they ever got here, I was sick, really sick. Kim was struggling through some things. We were trying to figure out she was sick. Then we had a furnace issue. Like right on the tail, the furnace um, stopped. After that, I found out that the hydro pole on our property that we're responsible for has some issue. This was right after that. Then our car blew out the rear seal in the engine, and there was oil all over the place. Then we had toilet trouble. Then we had septic trouble, right? And then, in the midst of all of it, I passed the kidney stone. Right? Now, I say that knowing full well. Oh, that hurts. Knowing full well that there are people in this, wor- this room whose lives are more difficult than that. Um, what I want to say is this, that in the midst of all of that, we were forced to say, Father, help us. And can I tell you something? Toilet seats are big deals. Septic tanks are big deals, right? Furnaces are big deals, right? It, it's a big deal. And, and what God was doing in our life was saying, I'm going to put you someplace so that you have to ask me. And in asking him, all of those things cared for, and it was amazing to see God bring brothers and sisters in Christ alongside those things to even help in all of those areas. I told a friend of mine, Greater love has no man than this, that a man would help you with your septic tank. (laughs) Country living is hard, right? God wants us to come to the one who satisfies our needs. All of our needs. And believer, it's time for us to say, Oh God, my Father, Before I run anywhere, let me run to you. It's not just a bowl of soup, my friend. He cares. And so, frustrated parent this morning, call out to God. You got wayward children? Call out to God. Your marriage is struggling? Call out to God. You have physical needs before you ever manipulate anybody. Call out to your father. He cares. He longs to hear from you. I love the story in, I I think it's 2 Kings, probably 2 Chronicles, where one of the kings from Judah is surrounded. And he says, Lord, we got nothing. Our eyes look to you. And that king understood he was exactly where God wanted him to be. There was no better place for him to say, God, my father, I need your help. And so, believer, listen to me. It's not just a pot of soup. It's not a big deal to us. Let the sparrows and let the lilies shout out and sing to you the sovereign grace of our Father who loves you and cares for you and wants you to pour out your needs before him and watch him work. And they cry out, God, help us. Verse number 41. But he said, Elijah, then bring meal or flour. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, 
pour out for the people that they might eat, and there was no harm in the pot. Now, before you get off base here on the, the flower and what it means and the symbolism of the flower, remember that God mixes the visible signs with mighty works to grip us and to hold our memory captive. The flower is just a way to say, look at Elijah threw in the pot, God healed the flower. And think about this. Years later, at the Sons of the Prophets reunion, they'd be sitting around, hey, remember when Mr. Rubenstein got those crazy gourds and threw it in the pot and almost killed all of us? Remember that? Remember what Elijah did? He threw some flour in there, and God healed the pot. It keeps our memory captive. And visible signs are God's defense against spiritual amnesia. He does this all the time. Today, we will see a baptism, two baptisms. That is a physical sign of the mighty work of God. That God took individuals who were dead in their sins, and by the Spirit of God, brought them to life, and restored them, and redeemed them, and made them whole, and they're testifying that God did a work through baptism. Listen, we are not baptismal regeneration people. We're baptism washed away sin. But when you read the New Testament, and the creeds, and the, the Apostolic Creed, and the Nicene Creed, they talk about baptism, like washing away your sin. It is so closely connected because that physical representation reminds us of the mighty act of God in salvation. It is a glorious thing, and you will see it this morning. It's powerful. We do it in communion. You grab that bread and you hold that. It keeps your memory captive. It reminds you that there was one who gave his body to be tortured and bear the wrath of God for your sins. You take that cup and you know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. There is no hope in your religion, your goodness. It is through Christ and Christ alone. They keep us captive and prevent from spiritual amnesia. And then the last phrase in verse number 41, there was no harm. And this is where I'll close this morning. My phone's down here. I have no idea what time it is. I know you don't either because you're so captivated by what's happening right now that you would not dare look at your... Good. All right. No harm. Three things I want you to take away from the message this morning before we have the baptism. Well, four things. Number one, the world is ruined. It's hard. It's a struggle. In the midst of that, we take our request to our Father. He hears and he blesses. And even if stuff isn't fixed Immediately, there's the release of giving it to him. It's okay. Number three, I want us to remember that our errors do not derail his kingdom or destroy his people. Here's Mr. Rubenstein at the Sons of the Prophets picnic. He takes these crazy gourds. It's like, oh my goodness, Rubenstein, you're going to kill everybody. You're going to kill the only hope for Israel, Elijah and the rest of us. And that's not the case. God is bigger than that. Now listen to me. I am not saying that there are not consequences for our actions. There is a law of sowing and reaping. And I want to tell you something. Some of you folks, you're making decisions that you will pay for. Young people, listen to me. I know you think you know everything. I know. You know why? Because I was 15 before. 16, 17. I really believe that my parents were idiots. Right? Didn't we all think that? Yeah, they're idiots. Then something happens when you're 24, 25, 
Your parents get really smart. I don't know how that happens, but they get really, really smart. Some of you young people, listen, you're making decisions now that will destroy your life. You will have a scar that will not go away. There are consequences. Some of you families today, you are making decisions, living for a moment that will leave scars. And what I'm telling you is you don't have to do that. You have the preaching of the word. You have the spirit. You have examples. Don't be foolish. There are consequences for our actions. But listen, in the midst of all of this, in the big picture, even in this story, our mistakes will not derail the kingdom of God. If there was a show called Christ and Our Mistakes, we would be the stars of those episodes because we've all made mistakes. You're raising kids today, guess what? You're going to make mistakes. I could write a book. I I could write volumes of mistakes. And parents, be careful. Some of you taking way too much credit if your kid turns out right, like you had all to do with that. And some of you taking too much blame because your kid didn't turn out right. It's bigger than that, my friend. God has got to capture their hearts. And the truth is, you can do all the right things, and your kid can still decide that you're foolish, God doesn't matter, and do what they want to do. That, that, it's not on you. We've all made those mistakes. We've all made those bad choices in life. We have given counsel that I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe I told them that. We have responses to situations. And our errors, like the gourds in the pot, do not derail his kingdom or destroy his people. God is bigger than all of those things. And so this morning, for some of us, we must stop excusing our behavior because someone hurt us. As if that's the reason I can't do right today. Well, someone was mean to me, or the church failed me, or they never fed me, or stop it. God's kingdom and God's purposes are bigger than that, and there's not going to be anyone that derails that except for you. Making excuses. Stop it. And for others, stop abusing yourself because you've made mistakes. I don't get it. I don't. Believers who say, oh, yeah, God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. What is that about? Honestly, that, that you are more kind and gracious and wise than God who says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Stop abusing yourself. God's kingdom is much bigger. You're not going to derail it. What he does is he takes the ashes of our life and makes them beautiful. He takes the sadness and turns into joy. He takes those experiences and he makes them useful in the lives of everyone around us. This is our God. He's bigger than all of those things. It is not a life sentence. It is a lesson. God is bigger. And whether we're talking about losing some soup or losing control, he is still in control. So remember, our errors do not derail his kingdom. And then finally this morning, in this story we get a glimpse of the ultimate renewal of harm that is coming. This world is messed up. This world is broken. There is pain. There is suffering. There is heartbreak. There is cancer. There is death. There is disease. But when that flower is sprinkled in the pot, 
The word of God says, eat it, it's good. There was no more harm. My brother and sister in Christ, there is coming a day when there will be no more harm. None. No crying. No tears. No weeping. No pain. No suffering. No loss. No death. None of it. Listen to the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse number 1. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root. Do you want to guess this morning who that is? It's Jesus Christ. This is exactly who he's talking about. It is the Savior of the world who, who would come and die, bleed, be buried, rise again, and offer salvation to every man and woman who repents and believes. And not only that, he is coming again. He is coming to rule and reign. And when he comes, he will make all things new. All things. Look what he says, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with a kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, or the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and it shall be the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Believer in Christ, This world is ruined. We suffer as remnant people through all of it, right? But God tells us to make our request to him, to call on him, to flee to him, to go to him. We must remember that the mistakes we have made will not derail God's kingdom or destroy his people. And finally, there will be a renewing of all things. And this is our hope. It is not today. It is not tomorrow is when the root of David, Jesus Christ, comes and rules and reigns. And all the harm and all the pain will be things of the past. This is our blessed hope. And we look to that this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. I know, I know, we didn't even talk about church picnics. It's okay. The point is, there's lots to learn in this passage about us and about our God. And so this morning, let me remind you a dose of reality. This world is ruined. It's hard. It's difficult. We will suffer. 
We don't suffer as those who have no hope. God's at work. We take our request to him. Even in our, our mistakes, he's bigger than all of that. And there is coming a day when he will renew everything. There will be no more harm. I long for that day. I long for no more sickness, disease, cancer, sadness, and death. So, believer, this morning, let me encourage you. Call on your Father. If you've sought forgiveness, forgive yourself. If you're playing the blame game, stop. God's bigger. Even in your pain, even in your injustice, he's bigger than all of that. It's not going to derail his kingdom or his plan for you. And then take great hope. Wherever you find yourself in the midst of struggle or suffering this morning, there is coming a day when our Savior will rule and reign and make everything right. That should motivate us today to love him and to serve him and to work for his kingdom.